In the 1980s, a rash of child abductions and child murders were big news. Milk came in coated cardboard cartons back then, rather than plastic jugs. And so the faces of missing children were plastered on them. Among the daily junk mail were postcards of missing kids who hadn't been seen in months or even years. I was my parents' oldest child, and my dad would have nightmares about me disappearing. My parents were uneasy about me playing outside, lest I get snatched up like these other kids and be gone forever. And in a sense, that fear rubbed off on me. For those of you new to the podcast, I was born in Detroit, but my family moved to several states around the country from the time I was two until I was eight, when we moved back to Detroit and I spent the rest of my childhood there. Now I remember one time, I think at this point we were living in Iowa, I was maybe around four or five. We were at a local mall, and I got separated from my parents for just a brief moment. They found me, but while the couple who grabbed me looked like my parents, a part of me wondered if the right family took me, or if these were strangers pretending to be my family. I know it's weird. Fortunately, through the power of DNA, these days I know for a fact that I was picked up by my real-life family rather than imposters. But in any case, this helicopter parenting was unusual in the 1980s. My parents were ahead of their time in that way. Despite living in a different state almost every year, I was a bit sheltered. Keep in mind, this was before the internet was a big thing, and while my family were early adopters of proto-internet technology, that wasn't until I was around 8 or 9 years old. So, when it was time to send me to school, my parents thought it would be a great idea to send me to private, religious schools, evangelical Christian schools for kindergarten and first grade, then Catholic schools from 2nd through 12th. My dad was a lapsed Catholic who dabbled in different types of spirituality throughout his life. My mom grew up Baptist and became a non-denominational Christian, essentially exchanging one brand of theological conservatism for another. The evangelical schools were likely her idea, I'm guessing. I'm not completely sure, we've never had that conversation. But I do know that the Catholic schools were my dad's idea. But the main reason they sent me to these schools wasn't even religious. After all, in a span of two years, the principal at an evangelical school I attended, and then the next year, the head priest at my Catholic school, told my parents they were going to hell for being married to each other. Gotta love those family values. Thing was, even with these schools' ideological exclusivity, my parents were sold on the idea that private schools would provide a better education than public schools, and they would keep me safe from violence and negative influences. In retrospect, I'm not sure if either were completely true, though I did have my share of wonderful and amazing teachers during my childhood and adolescence. The downside of private religious schools is that they are often self-regulated without outside oversight, which can lead to a wide range of quality and experiences and a lack of accountability. Some of these schools, particularly a number of evangelical Christian schools and even homeschooling in many cases, are essentially factories for political and religious extremism. Others, such as, for example, Covington Catholic in Northern Kentucky that was in the news recently for an incident in Washington, D.C., CubCath, and some of the other Catholic schools in the Cincinnati Tri-State area are essentially de facto segregation academies. I get more into Covington Catholic and the issues the incident shone a light on 
in a February Patreon bonus episode that drops this Friday, February 1st. Patreon.com slash Flying Machine. Anyway, the problem is that many conservative Christians have a difficult time facing that there are systematic problems within the church and church institutions. They want to be seen as the light to the world without being that light. We are always being told that your thoughts and actions are right simply because you believe in Jesus Christ. Reason and common sense are nowhere to be found. And if you can't be honest with yourself, don't expect anyone else to believe you. I'm your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. Recently, Second Lady Karen Pence, otherwise known as Mother, started teaching art at Emanuel Christian School in Springfield, Virginia, an evangelical school that bars people who are LGBTQ from attending as students or from being hired on as staff. Because Vice President Mike Pence and their family are known for being Christian extremists, this led to some criticism, of course. In response, Mike Pence shot back, stating, Quote, my wife and I have been in the public eye for quite a while. We're used to the criticism. But I have to tell you, to see major news organizations attacking Christian education is deeply offensive to us. We have a rich tradition in America of Christian education, and frankly, religious education broadly defined. We celebrate it. The freedom of religion is enshrined in the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution prohibits a religious test for holding a public office, and so we'll let the other critics roll off our back. But this criticism of Christian education in America should stop. End quote. This led to another round of criticism on social media, this time on Pence stating we should not criticize Christian education. Using the hashtag ExposedChristianSchools, started by religion scholar and ex-evangelical influencer Chris Drew, Many are revealing on social media their stories of ideological extremism and abuse in conservative Christian schools. Regular people, including both people who have left the faith and those who are still in it but are not evangelical anymore, are revealing their negative experiences in Christian schools, including tales of retrograde teaching, ingrained homophobia, racism, and sexism, and even in some cases, horrifying accounts of mental, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. And this has helped to shine a light on extremist, radicalizing institutions that lack oversight, regulation, and accountability, while enjoying tax-exempt status and the benefit, in some cases, of government-funded vouchers. In other words, all of us are paying for children to be radicalized into extremist ideology. Of course, this has led to angry responses by conservative Christians, evangelical leaders, and conservative media, including Fox News sharing the hashtag derisively. An article from CBN, the network that broadcasts Pat Robertson, included this line, quote, After the news about Karen Pence broke, the hashtag exposed Christian schools was trending on Twitter in a blatant targeting of Christian beliefs, end quote. And Fox News included a healthy dose of whataboutism to the mix, as Fox News contributor Pete Hegseth wrote, quote, 
Apparently, hashtag exposed Christian schools is trending in the U.S. Let's start a real one. Most of today's public or government schools are PC-obsessed, safe space, leftist indoctrination fortresses that utterly fail our kids and our country. Hashtag expose public schools. End quote. Fox News contributor Dan Bongino tweeted, quote, Of all the disgusting, disgraceful, horrifying, anti-American hashtag campaigns I've seen on this platform, hashtag expose Christian schools is the most egregious. Anyone promoting this atrocious garbage should hang their heads in eternal shame. End quote. So clearly, the right wing is not thrilled about the hashtag. But that's par for the course for many conservative white evangelicals. Their churches, their schools, and in general, how they engage politics and society is beyond criticism simply because God ordained it. And any negative press is persecution and discrimination against all Christians, as if their interpretation of the Bible and Christianity is the only legitimate one. But of course, instead of any degree of self-awareness or self-examination, they get offended, point fingers, and demand they be granted a safe space while using their outsized political power to screw over everyone else. Speaking of screwing over everyone else, so last month, the Senate passed by rare unanimous vote the Justice for Victims of Lynching Act. Lynching is the extrajudicial murder by a group or mob. It was most common during the Jim Crow segregation era, as over 4,700 documented lynchings occur between 1882 and 1968, mostly involving Black Americans, though this may not be exhaustive of all the times it occurred during the Jim Crow era. Three quarters of these incidents occurred in the South, even though this happened in other places around the country as well. Even after the Jim Crow era, lynchings have occurred. One of the most famous was the beating and truck-dragging murder of James Byrd in 1999. But this has not been exclusive to Black Americans, and race isn't the only reason why people will be targeted for lynching. An example of this is the beating, torture, and murder of Matthew Shepard, also in 1999, for being gay. While the most common form historically of lynching has been murder by torture and hanging, other methods include burning and mutilation. There really isn't a limit to the method, but in general, lynching is brutal, deadly, and public. And while what leads to lynching isn't always bigotry, it is often a huge motivator. The bill that the Senate signed defines lynching as acts that, quote, willfully cause bodily injury to any other person. End quote. And, in short, makes lynching or attempted lynching on the basis of actual or perceived race, color, religion, national origin, as well as gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability, a federal crime. It's been sitting awaiting review by the House, which has been postponed by the government shutdown. This bill, if signed, would be the first successful effort at a federal law outlawing lynching, and it's already the first in several tries over the last hundred years to make it through the Senate. But Liberty Council, a conservative evangelical advocacy group, takes issue with a part of the bill. Liberty Council supported Kim Davis, the government clerk in Kentucky who refused to issue marriage licenses for same-sex couples after it was legalized nationwide with Obergefell v. Hodges. They have also lobbied against state-level anti-discrimination laws and bans on gay conversion therapy 
and oppose same-sex couples adopting children. Liberty Council wants to strip sexual orientation and gender identity from the anti-lynching bill. They argue that it's a slippery slope that if LGBTQ people are protected by this law, this could open the door to more laws that will protect them. Like that's somehow a bad thing. According to Liberty Council Chairman Matt Staver, quote, the old saying is, once that camel gets the nose in the tent, you can't stop them from coming the rest of the way in. This is a way to slip it in under a so-called anti-lynching bill and to then to sort of circle the wagon and then go for the jugular at some time in the future, end quote. But when challenged, he has later stated, quote, lynching should be prohibited no matter the person's reason for committing this violent crime, end quote, making the argument that the group does not support lynching against any group, but opposes the use of protected classes within the law. In response, the group has been roundly criticized. For example, an editorial in the Orlando Sentinel, which is right in the Liberty Council's backyard, had this to say about their recent lobbying efforts. Quote, the Liberty Council has responded indignantly to criticism of its position on the lynching bill, saying the bill should apply to all people, not just protected classes. Pfft. They know full well that civil rights law is a body of law designed to protect specific groups. They just don't want those protections extended to sexual orientation and gender identity. The group's antics are an embarrassment, especially for a community that works hard to welcome all types of people. Central Florida has earned a reputation as a place that doesn't judge people by their sexual orientation, but by the content of their character. If the Liberty Council wants to work to deny justice and basic rights to the LGBT community, that's its prerogative. The U.S. Constitution guarantees their right to be on the wrong side of history. But we think they might be more comfortable doing it from a home base outside of Central Florida. We feel confident their views would find a more welcoming home in a community that's more comfortable with trying to marginalize people who aren't like them. End quote. But among the criticism for their targeting of LGBTQ people, Liberty Council released a statement saying, quote, Some media have falsely reported that Liberty Council is opposed to banning lynching or opposes banning lynching of LGBT people. Such reporting is false, reckless, and offensive, end quote. But that's exactly what they're advocating. Even their later claim that they oppose the law due to the use of protected classes that is disingenuous because they are specifically focusing on gender identity and sexual orientation in their attacks on the law, not the use of protected classes overall. And the use of protected classes is key to the bill. An article written by Alex Bollinger of LGBTQ Nation explains it perfectly, stating, quote, Murder is already illegal and has been illegal for centuries. That didn't stop state and local governments from encouraging lynching for decades. Lynching is racist violence, and that's why state and local governments have a history of encouraging it. Even the federal government refused to take up laws last century that would have allowed it to prosecute offenders when local governments wouldn't. The Justice for Victims of Lynching Act of 2018 is an attempt to rectify that. It puts lynching in the context of hate crimes which means that understanding what lynching is requires protected categories. If a couple of robbers attack someone, then that's not lynching under this law. If a racist mob attacks someone, then it is. 
And because local governments have a history of letting racist mobs, but not robbers, off the hook, the federal government should be able to intervene in those cases, including categories like sexual orientation, gender identity, and religion, makes the bill more universal, not less. The categories allow the government to fight mob violence based on bias in general, even though the bill clearly is motivated by America's specific history of racist lynching, end quote. This is by no means the only attack by evangelical Christian organizations on those in society they view as the other. The military ban on transgender service members, opposition to Black Lives Matter or police accountability, support for the wall and for family separations have had the backing of evangelical Christian institutions. Inflicting suffering on other people or supporting that suffering and refusing to take responsibility for it will convince no one that you have life-giving truth or that your truth is worth having. It is important to share our stories enduring toxic Christian environments, including Christian churches, ministries, social groups, and schools. I do want to make it clear that I don't think all Christian environments are toxic or negative. There are life-giving Christian environments. If people leave evangelicalism or other toxic Christian environments, it doesn't mean the only destination is atheism or agnosticism or another religion or spiritual tradition, though those are also valid paths. But there are affirming, supportive Christian environments, and going down that path is just as valid. That said, in evangelical Christianity, we are not facing an innocuous, compassionate institution that just wants to spread God's love. Evangelicalism, by and large, has become a movement, a radical cult in the United States that was built on a foundation of racism, sexism, and other forms of prejudice and bigotry. And due to that foundation and the fuel of authoritarianism and control, it's eating our society alive from the inside out. American evangelicalism tends to center the powerful and the privileged and lives out the praise of authority figures, the supremacy of law and order, the lifting up of empire, the focus on self, while claiming to be the only true representatives of a religion that, at its core, centers the poor, the oppressed, and people in need. While following the Bible literally, word for word translated, does require some degree of cognitive dissonance, there are consistent threads within the Bible. Love for humanity, justice meted out towards the wicked, mercy for sinners, compassion for the poor and marginalized, and accountability for leadership, no strings attached. Yet, this is a far cry from conservative evangelicalism in America, which seeks domination and lacks respect and empathy for any individual or group who is unlike themselves. These are the institutions that claim to care about life, but only care about fetuses, despite the Bible suggesting in several passages that life begins at birth. Whereas when it comes to those who draw breath, it's a different story for them. Rich white teenage boys who behaved badly while gallivanting as anti-abortion activists are somehow more deserving of compassion, childhood, and dignity than the mostly Latino refugee children who are languishing in cages and left vulnerable to abuse and death from disease, or transgender teens being driven to take their own lives by religious communities that shun them and deny their existence, or young black boys like Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice 
who were snuffed out but vilified in the media and popular culture as thugs who didn't get the benefit of being viewed as the children they were. No matter how much they want to hide behind law and order and moral values or other idols they have built up to justify their prejudices, bigotry, irrational fears, and sheer greed, we see you. It's also important that these stories are shared, whether it's about toxic schools or homeschool environments or toxic churches or toxic religious communities, because there are people who feel stuck, people whose humanity is being crushed under the weight of oppressive and toxic faith systems. And people need to know that there are other options. There is a way out. And there is life after extremist Christianity. And the best people to deliver that message are those of us who have lived through it. Here's my small contribution to hashtag expose Christian schools. It's a bit longer than a tweet. In first grade, I attended Cedar Hill Christian School, a now defunct elementary school that was run by Cedar Hill Baptist Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. It was a strict conservative Christian school, complete with corporal punishment. Since we just moved to Ohio from Florida at the time, I was the new kid, a bit nerdy. I loved raising my hand and answering questions in class. And like I mentioned earlier, I was a bit sheltered. And with that came being used to being around adults, my parents, my older family members, my parents' friends. So I didn't have as much socialization with my peer group at the time. And because of that, I found it hard to form friendships at school, which was an issue for me for much of my childhood. At the same time, the administration didn't know what to do with me. You see, my parents were strict and religious, especially my mom, but in hindsight, they were raising me as an egalitarian. But the grade school they placed me in had different ideas. I'll give you an example, and I also shared this on Twitter at PotsterCast. Once I got in trouble at school, and I was punished by standing on a fence near a beehive during recess, that was the punishment. And as the bees were swarming around me, the teacher yelled at me, Stand still! As I was standing against this fence, I was terrified and I was hysterically crying. But of course I didn't move because the teacher said so. Now, why was I in trouble? Well, my teacher told my parents I'd been punished for scaring my classmates. How did I scare them? During playtime, while my girl classmates were talking about wanting to be moms when they grew up, I said that when I grew up, I wanted a career. Saying that I, as a little girl, wanted a career, got me fenced with a swarm of bees. But there's another incident I want to share here involving the same school that I didn't post to social media. One day, we were lining up after gym class, and all of a sudden, I was being dragged away by my teacher. I had no idea why. She said that I gave another student the middle finger. What? I was sure I didn't do that, but even if I had, What's the big deal about the middle finger? I mentioned earlier that I didn't have a lot of socialization, and as a sheltered six-year-old, I had no idea what the teacher was talking about. And here's the thing, I never saw my parents use the finger. They never exposed me to TV shows or movies where people use the finger. And this was before the internet, this was well before emojis, so I literally had no idea what the teacher was talking about. Next thing I know, 
I'm in the principal's office, alone. Just a six-year-old girl and a man that was probably in his 50s. He wanted me to admit to giving my classmate the finger. I said I didn't. I didn't recall doing that and I wouldn't admit to it because again, I still had no idea what he was talking about. And because of that, the principal took his paddle, which looked massive, bent me over and smacked my butt with it. Yeah, it hurt. But the worst part was, in that moment, I still had no idea why this was happening to me. These days, it would be considered inappropriate, maybe even creepy, to leave a middle-aged man alone with a child he is not related to and punish them in such an intimate manner. But in a conservative Christian environment, spare the rod, spoil the child. As people are sharing their stories that show how toxic evangelical Christianity can be, as well as other toxic Christian environments outside of evangelicalism specifically, those who are sold on extremism, as well as the leaders who are invested in its growth, are trying to quash it, which is the MO of Christian extremism. Discredit all questioning, discredit all criticism, discredit all doubt. And as we can see with Mike Pence, and the many white evangelical Christians and even conservative Catholics in some cases that have taken umbrage with the hashtag and the ex-evangelical community in general. There is little willingness to reflect on how these conservative Christian institutions have made themselves look bad. They want to view themselves as persecuted, as victims, while they use their political power to victimize others. The personal responsibility mantra they use as a weapon against those who are not like them even fellow Christians, they would not dare use it against themselves because if they do, they would have to face the fact that they are not victims of the world or the left, but that much of the negativity towards the Christian right in America has been self-inflicted and well-earned. But Jay, why should it matter how Christians act? None of us are perfect. None of us are Jesus. Shouldn't your faith be in Jesus and not in other people? Yes and no. Yes, if a person is a Christian, their faith should be in Christ. But here's the problem with the mindset that the behavior of Christians doesn't matter and that people not believing is due to their own hard-heartedness. Evangelical Christians rely on the Great Commission, the call of Jesus within the Bible to preach the good news, the gospel to the ends of the earth, to mandate that faithful Christians are obligated to tell others particularly non-Christians, about the faith. To essentially say that we're required to share with people about Christ and bring them into Christianity, but we hold no responsibility if we're horrible representatives, is having your cake and eating it too. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to essentially market a belief system in a way of life to others, whether they aren't a part of your faith or you're bringing up children and teens in the faith, you have to be credible. You have a responsibility to be trustworthy. You have to live as if you believe it yourself, because otherwise, no one's going to buy it, and that's on you. That's the problem with American evangelicalism. Too many evangelicals, from the leadership on down, act as if they don't believe a word of what they preach. It's as if they choose to do what they want and retcon the Bible to make it seem as if their own will was God-ordained. After decades of marketing themselves as values voters who expected morality and integrity in the Oval Office, 
81% of white evangelical voters chose to vote for a man whose behavior is full of extreme greed, cruelty, and wrath. Nothing of him is like Christ. And there are all the excuses. It was either him or Hillary. We have to say the babies. But it all rings hollow when there is no love for the humanity you claim you want to save. If you felt Hillary Clinton was so bad, there were other choices during the 2016 election. You didn't even have to vote if it was that bad. Trump was clear all along about who he was and his xenophobia, bigotry, racism. That was not a deal breaker for you. And let's be for real. For some of you, this was a feature, not a bug. Don't say you didn't have a choice on one hand and defend Trump with your whole being on the other hand as if he could do no wrong. Don't say, but Obama, but Hillary, but Bill, none of them are president right now and you're the ones claiming moral superiority. Don't tell me you care about saving babies when you don't care about the lives of babies who suffer from being split from their families or die through the inaction of U.S. border security. Don't tell me you care about saving babies when you blame the parents of refugee children for wanting to give their children a chance at a better life than the one they have in their countries of origin, countries destroyed by decades of Cold War era U.S. foreign policy. Don't tell me you care about saving babies when you are more concerned about our tax dollars going towards building Trump's pet wall to keep out refugee children than giving children safe water in Flint or providing families with health care or making sure the children of government workers affected by the shutdown are properly cared for or giving children proper infrastructure in Puerto Rico or keeping kids from being shot by police because of the color of their skin. Don't even bother to claim you're pro-fetus when you support Trump who was pro-choice until the 2016 election. You're fine with him colluding with his master, Vladimir Putin, who is vocally pro-choice. And his best friend is Kim Jong-un, whose country, North Korea, practices forced abortion. In Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to his followers about the Pharisees and teachers of the law, which, like much of the Bible, has a specific historical and cultural context. So I do want to be careful about this here in terms of its applicability. But I do think that much of what Jesus said about the Jewish authorities of his time can, to some degree, also translate to the state of American evangelicalism. I'll read the most relevant section, but the whole passage is worth checking out. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Matthew 23, 1-15 American evangelicalism doesn't simply have an image problem. It has a character problem. It has an integrity problem. Don't claim to have the truth because your witness is a bold-faced lie. And when you claim to have the answer, you have the nerve to wonder why nobody believes you anymore? If you don't get it now, take a good, hard, long look in the mirror. Understanding how we got here in terms of the influence of American evangelicalism requires a long view of history. Another cultural institution that has a bit of a history worth examining is Marvel Comics. And Ryan, Phil, Daryl, and Sly are winding down their fascinating series on iconic Marvel hero Captain Marvel. Check out the most recent episode in Divisive Issues, their second of a two-parter on the modern Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. Listen and subscribe to Divisive Issues on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and most anywhere else you get your podcasts, or go to franzradio.com slash divisive issues. And for all of our awesome Flying Machine Network podcasts, blogs, and more, go to flyingmachine.network. Thank you so much for listening to Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app. Go to potstorypodcast.com slash download and you'll see the links. If you subscribe, you can get new episodes once they come out so you don't miss out. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us five stars and leave a review. And I'm always tweeting, so follow me on Twitter at potstorycast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free. I give you the incredible flying machine!